which today is an unusual uh, day. Usually we preach through a, a sermon series uh, that may be a topic or a book of the Bible, and we, just, and we go through uh, an idea or a, a section of Scripture, I should say, uh, kind of verse by verse. Uh, but today it's, it's kind of an open Sunday, and what I've chosen to do is really kind of um, speak into, kind of like a halftime chat, speak into where we're at as a community. And so if you're new here, this is not a normal Sunday. If you want a normal Sunday, uh, come back next week. But it's, not, it's still an amazing Sunday to be here because we're just going to kind of pull the curtain back and, and you can kind of see what we're all about uh, much, much quicker. Um, but just so you know that. So what I want to do is I want to talk a little bit about why we um, uh, plant churches and locations and, you know, some questions and concerns about planting churches and locations because we're getting ready to, in the fall, September 13th, we're going to start another location in Kirkwood. We're going to meet at Knifer Middle, one person, two people, three people are excited about it. Can I get four? Can I get four? Um, we can't get four. And so we, uh, well, let's move on. Um, uh, thank you, veterans. Thank you, veterans. That got more applause. And so um, just a little history lesson about Jubilee. Jubilee Church is 18 years old, and uh, we're kind of middle-aged in church years. Uh, church, the average church uh, begins with the plat- plateau at 15, at 15 t- decline at 25, and the average church is extinct at uh, 40. And so we're kind of middle-aged at 18. And the church got started uh, with 22 adults. Um, and now we're more than 650 in, in three different locations. And there's been three things that have kind of driven us as a church or three things that have really inspired uh, the leaders and, and, of, of, and how this church gets led. Number one, uh, we've, we've wanted to be a church, and the foundation of this church and what continues to be true is we've wanted to be a church that hears what God is saying uh, and then doing it, which I know sounds super simple and is super simple. It's just sometimes it's hard, but we, we really want to... to to take that risk, and if we hear God saying something, we want to want to go after it. So, how this church got started? It didn't get started by me. It got started by a guy named John Lamferman, and uh, it started in the mid '90s. He was at the Lake of the Ozarks, leading a church there, um, a great church, and he kind of had everything set up. He was kind of getting nearer the the retirement age, and he loves to fish. He had a boat on the lake, and everything was kind of placid life as it was, but God came and spoke to him and his wife, uh, Linda, about coming to St. Louis and starting all over again. Um, and, and, what, and, and God just said, I want you to go do this. And so how this church got started was, was, was John and, and his wife saying, yes, okay, I'll go do that. So they came and, and started this church with 22 adults, and that was in 97 when it got kicked off. In 98, I was a 22-year-old in a college doing my own thing. Um, living, uh, I wasn't living uh, for Jesus, and, and I was uh, nearing my end of um, my college career, and I was kind of depressed because I was getting ready to graduate, and I just thought, if you get a degree, like, everybody is going to want to hire you. Like, that's what you do. You get a degree, and then you get, like, multiple, multiple job offers. In fact, they'll probably bid on you, and they'll, like, they'll overbid and give you all the money, and, and all your dreams will come true, and that didn't happen for me. It may have happened for you, but it didn't happen for me. And I was getting really depressed. And um, in fact, you know, I was in this relationship that wasn't um, going very well. And I was, it, was on, it was spring break. All my friends were gone. But I was home by myself on a Saturday. I think it was raining. And it was, uh, it was really depressing. The only, it was just me and these um, two cats. There was the most depressing, <laughs> like the most depressing cat you'll ever meet in your life. Like one cat was, uh, it had a broken 
right front leg, and so I just kind of crawl around like this. And uh, yeah, I know, it was depressing, and it's, I'm, you know, I'm really sad. And so the, the other cat was this, was this really fat cat. I mean, think twice as big as Garfield. I mean, just really fat. And uh, like literally, it, when it would walk from one room to the other, you could hear <sighs> breathing really heavily because it was so heavy. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but cats can like jump on top of it. The average cat can like jump on top of a refrigerator. And so this cat couldn't, I barely could pick up a paw. And so like where I'm sitting on this couch and this cat is just like, <sighs> like looking at, like wanting me, he, could, I, he couldn't jump up on the couch with me. So I had to pick it up which was no small feat, and I had to pick it up and put it on the couch with me. And so it's just, it's raining outside, and it's me and these cats. So it's just a really depressing place to be. But in that moment, um, so I, I, my, my parents had got me this Bible two years before that, um, and it was still in the package, all wrapped up with my name engraved on it, and I hadn't looked at it for, the, for a year and a half. They got it for me at Christmas 96. This was March 98. And uh, I just said, well, I'll read the Bible. And so I started reading the Bible. I got to Psalm 8110. It said, open your mouth wide and I'll fill it. And in that moment, I mean, the, the, that scripture jumped off the page, grabbed me by the jugular, and two thoughts captivated me. Number one, God is really real because he's speaking to me right now. And the second thing he's saying is if you open your mouth wide to me, I will fill it to all the things you're looking for in a relationship and a job. And so if you do what I say uh, to do, if you open your m- mouth uh, why to me? So like, what do you want me to do? He didn't say, just, just come. And so I said, okay, I'm going to do that. And so fast forward up into all the different times that he would lead me. It came time to uh, lay down my career. So I'd been a stockbroker for six years when, they, when I was asked in, in 2004 to lead this church, started leading in 2005. And it was like, well, I'm going to do that because of that moment of saying, okay, we're hearing God, we want to we obey God. And, and every elder has that story. Mike has that story. My dad has that story. Kurt has that story. All the elders have that, that story. And many of you have that story because we've wanted to be a church. When we hear God, we want to respond. And so when I started leading the church and we felt like we were out in Webster Groves, we're like, we're going to do a reverse commute. We're going to do the opposite of what everyone else does. And we're going to go from the county into the city. And why would we do that? Because we felt like that's what God was speaking us to do. And he was sharing that very uh, clearly to us. So we came down here and, and, and all the, in the different locations. We just wanted to be this kind of community that we heard what God had to say and we wanted to do that. That's kind of built into the framework of, of, of how we do church. The second thing that has really driven us is we've really wanted to honor the scripture. It's very much like the first one, is we've really want, wanted to honor what God says in his Bible. So why are we so like... Why we so like push the envelope on community? I can guarantee you it has nothing to do with my personality. Like I'm just those of you who know me, just like well, he's not very friendly. It was like well, it's not. It's not because I just feel like we should all to be doing, you know, board games and guacamole all the time. Like that's what church should be like. But but what we see is in the scriptures, like man, community is where it needs to be and how we do worship. So even this morning, you're seeing, you know. Two or three come up and sharing something, an impression of God, a voice of God, the, a, a scripture. Well, that's because in 1 Corinthians 14, 26, it says, when you come together, like we are coming together, each one of you is going to have a hymn, a song, a, 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 you know, they're going to have a, a, a scripture, something to encourage. These things must be done for the encouragement of the body, and we're all for encouraging each other and building up who we are together, and so we want that to happen. Why do we want that to happen? Because we see it in the Bible, so we, we, we organize the church, and we live, we do things because we want to honor scripture. 
scripture. And a third reason is because the third thing that's really driven us as a church and, and how we, is that we've had this passion uh, to see people connected to Jesus. What God has done in our life, what Jesus has done in our life, we're like super excited about. And just like anything you're excited about, like a good movie or a good steak, you want to tell others. And we want to tell others. And we want to be, we're, we're motivated in, uh, and by our passion uh, for God, absolutely, for his word and what he says, but also because we have compassion uh, for, for people. And because this church has existed on uh, those being three drivers, I mean, we've seen hundreds of people's uh, lives change, people going from darkness into light, seeing marriages reconciled, relationships reconciled, healing. And so, I mean, even looking over here to my left, Manny Dominguez, Manny Dominguez. So when we, he, there you are, brother. And uh, wave to the people. He's probably taking notes, and so that's why he's looking down. Um, so, I don't know, three or four years ago, maybe, Dylan, uh, who's an elder, elder here, um, he uh, met um, Manny at a shop and stave over here, and, and, and Manny was, was humped over at a 90-degree angle. He had extraordinary, he couldn't even see him face-to-face, and because... Um, you know, again, we're, we're people who want to honor the word, and, and Dylan, uh, God bless him, he just reads the Bible and believes the Bible, and um, he, he's like, well, God wants to heal people, so he's like, hey, I just want to, can I pray for you? And so he prays for him, he get stand up, are you bound, are you still, stand up, go ahead, yes, he's all good, he's all good now, and so, but not only that, um, he, he wandered about for a few mo- months because when he was first praying for him, when Dylan says, We're, I'm part of that church, he couldn't see him because he's bent over. So he's looking all over for us. And so he finally comes in four months later. Dylan doesn't even recognize him because he looks totally different. Well, long story short, you know, he gets radically saved. You know, we baptize him over yonder, you know, where we baptize people. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's totally, life has been changed, totally different. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he was a part of, uh, the uh, the American army, but now he's a part of the army of God, uh, joining uh, arm in arm with us and uh, connect. And, and God has done that over and and over again in this community. I mean, we could just go on and we do tell stories uh, toward the end of the year. Uh, well, all throughout the year, but it, we'll have an annual report coming up. Where we'll try to unfold some of these. And Kevin, you're here. I just met him this morning, but last week when I wasn't here, you got baptized, and I, saw, I, I watched your video. It was absolutely amazing. I doubt you knew what you were saying, but you were saying like the most, the clearest um, picture of what the gospel is. And it was, but it, it was just a true evidence of like, man, God has come in and changed your life because a community of people, and this is the way God works, because a community of people. Uh, would say yes to him and honor his word and, and love and love people. And so, that, and so because of that, we, we want to be this, we, we want to continue to hear God, continue to honor his word and continue to have a passion for people. And so I want to take you through some things of why we plant churches. Can you, did we pass this out yet? Can we get on that? You're awesome. Um, Uh, so why do we plant churches? Number one, it's coming to you, but I'm going to get going. Uh, number one, because of it's um, a biblical mandate. And what do I mean by that? Well, in Matthew 28, 18, it's called the Great Commission. And Jesus says, this is red letter stuff, go into all the world and to make disciples, so make disciples, to baptize them 
and to teach them everything that I have commanded. Now, in the last 50 or so years, we've taken the great commission, uh, commission, uh, commission, yeah, I said commission, commission, to mean like we do evangelism, which that's certainly a part of it, to make disciples. But it's not just that we go do crusades and door to door and get the gospel out there. But when you talk, it's not just make disciples, but, but it's also to baptize them and to teach them, which uh, the early apostles instinctively knew that that meant planting churches. Because in seeing someone baptized, that's a community thing. To teach them everything I've commanded, teaching one another uh, is, a, is a, a community thing. So the early uh, apostles and d- disciples instinctively knew that this meant starting churches. And, and as you read Acts and you read the, what's called the epistles, which were the letter to the churches, that's exactly what those guys did. They went and planted churches. So, so um, Paul says to Titus, Titus was a young uh, pastor, and he says to them, I want you to go into every town. He says this in uh, Titus 1, 5 or 6. He says, I want you to go to every town. I want you to appoint elders. He didn't say, I want you to go to every town. I want you to do a crusade because what's really important that you kind of just project the gospel and get decisions for Jesus because uh, the reality is a lot of decisions for Jesus get lost in the shuffle, so much so that 87% of Americans say that they are Christians, but what they meant when they, gave, when they made a decision for Jesus is they really just it started a process. There wasn't actually a conversion moment. Now, sometimes God converts people on the spot. That, that definitely happens. But a lot of times um, when someone says yes to Jesus, it's, on a, it's in a process. So even when you read through the Bible, sometimes, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but I'll be reading the Bible and then I'll say, and then the disciples believed. And I'm thinking, well, didn't they already believe? That's why they're following him. No, that he, he said, come with me. And he's like, all right, we'll come with you. And so they came with him. And then somewhere along the lines, the light came on in their heart and they believed. And that's what happens. And you need it. And, and so it happens uh, in a community. And so when he said, go point elders in every town, what he, meant, what he really meant is go and start churches. Go and start churches in every time. So the first reason that we plant churches is because it's in the Bible, yo. And so we do it that way. And then the second reason why we do it is to reach more people. Uh, to reach more people. Uh, a city planner, one of the things a city planner will do is they want what's called urban density. And the reason why they want urban density is to make uh, there are a less of a need for utilities and roads and all different kinds of things. If they can get everyone to live together and move together in one tight spot and they, they can create economies of scale and make a better place uh, for everyone. And the gospel kind of works a similar way is that we want to go for uh, gospel density, which means that we don't want to just be one place in one area and then hopefully a bunch of people will drive from all different places. But we want to see communities multiplied throughout an area so that er- people can gather around the gospel and express the gospel as a community in an area. And new, th- new churches uh, reach more new people. Um, s- about 80% of a church, uh, 80% of a new member, excuse me, how do I say this? 80% of the new members in a church, zero to two, is uh, made up of previously non-Christians uh, as compared to the opposite, about 10 or 20% of churches that have been in existence for 10 or more years. Just new churches reach new people better. It's Fact. Second, thirdly, is uh, to re- the renewal of the existing churches. Because sometimes people say, well, well, there's churches everywhere. Why don't we just make the, the old churches better? If they're not doing well, we should make the old ones better. Actually, planting more churches will help us uh, make existing churches better. Because what new churches are, new churches are 
are full of like crazy people who are like early adapters and want to try new things. And, um, and older churches can't really readily accept new ideas, but new churches are, they're trying new things all the time. And so like even things like that we take for granted, like small groups, one, that, that, that churches used to not do that. But a new church one day said, hey, let's, let's gather in small groups. And, and, they, and it helped existing churches actually revitalize. And so church plants are kind of like the R&D department of like the big C church. They help everything. They, they kind of go along. So we, we want to plant churches for these um, three reasons. We want to plant churches and we want to start new locations, which is kind of a, a, a similar church planting uh, strategy. So that w- that's what we give ourselves to as a as a community. So we give ourselves to all different. We give ourselves to wanting to worship God and and be in community and do evangelism. But we want to press the, the the pedal on seeing new things started. And we're gonna we're gonna start something new again uh, September thirteenth out in Kirkwood. Now this is this has risen some concerns uh, in the community. So as I've gone around and kind of kicked the tires to see kind of what people are thinking and feeling, I've picked up on a few things. So this is like I would say, like if you're new here, I'm kind of pulling back the curtain. This isn't like dirty laundry or anything, but just like, hey, these are concerns that I've, I've heard people have. So I just want to address them. If These may not be your concerns, but here's some kind of popular ones. The first one concern is personal cost. Hey, it's cool, Brian, that you want to do this, but this is, do you realize this is going to cost me time? Like, you know, I don't know if I'll have the time to do um, you know, it was kind of better when it was, we we're all together because, you know, other people could do stuff. But now if we, if you kind of do it this way, then more people have to, um, be on board, which I think actually is an advantage. Uh, um, more, it's, 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 will help us become more mature. So one is, one is a personal cost of, of time, but the other one is a personal cost of relationships. Because here's like the catch 22. It's awesome because we we, we build in, uh, this high value of community, and and now like everyone has these really close relationships, and now we're like eighty people are, are going to go to this new location, and people are like, well, what about all these close relationships? Brian, you said we get close, get close, get close, and we did, and we did, and we did, and now you're now we're now that relationship's going to change. So on one hand, it's a great thing that we're saying, hey, what about our relationships? Um, but I want to take you to a passage of scripture to hopefully help, and maybe you have a different personal cost, and this is just kind of general stuff. Luke 14. I'm going to turn to Luke 14. If you don't, if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to turn in your Bible, uh, I have it on the screen there. Luke 14. Let me just say verse 26, or sorry, 25 before 26. Uh, it says, now great crowds accompanied him. Who, who accompanied Jesus? Great crowds. Probably a lot of people, right? And he turned and said to them, who are what? The great crowds. Okay, all right. If anyone, anyone, in the Greek means anyone, um, that means all of us. So if anyone wants to do what? Come to me, that's Jesus. Jesus is speaking to the crowds. This is, this is on the front. This is not fine print. Uh, Christianity, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, won't be a very good disciple. It doesn't say won't be very good. It says cannot be my disciple. It says cannot be my disciple. 
So what he doesn't do, he doesn't say to the crowds, hey, come to me for abundant life. Oh, by the way, disciples, it's going to be some crosses involved. He says this to everyone. Anyone who would come after me must hate their mother and father. Now, there, there are two major responses that you may be having hearing this. Number one is that it's absurd. It's absurd, Jesus, that you would say that I should hate my mother and father. And for some of you, you would just say it's unnecessary. You're like, well, I already hate my mother and father. You don't need to say, <laughs> you don't need to, uh... so what's your, what do I sign? Like, what do, what do you, what's the problem here? Um... Let me, let me say a couple things about this. The main thing that Jesus is saying is that when you come to me, I'm talking about whole life devotion. Like, this is a surrendering thing. And so when, the language that we use here, which, I, which other people use too, is, is that when you come to Jesus, you surrender your life. And, and this is clear if you read through the, through the Gospels. To hear. It's a surrendering process. Now, if you... Uh, um, I was reading in this article the other day. It talked about how when Japan surrendered to the Allied forces in World War II. They, they got on a boat called the Missouri, and uh, they had to sign uh, the surrender papers. It was an eight-paragraph thing, and they, they went on the sign. Now, how many, how many here think when they went on the boat to sign the, the papers, they said, you know, we, we've got some, we, we have some stipulations as well. No, they just signed. They just signed. When you come to Jesus... You don't, you don't come with these with stipulations. You just sign. You, you surrender. The, the deal is, uh, they're, they're God terms, that you repent of your sin, you turn toward Jesus, and if you believe upon Jesus Christ, uh, that he died for you, that if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, there's a great news, that you will be saved, that you'll be saved for all of eternity, that he will not count your sin against you, that you'll be free from the power of sin, you'll be free from the bondage of sin, you'll be free from the penalty of sin, which means that you'll be with him forever. And this is a really amazing good news. It is your life for his life, 100%. He that knew no sin, Jesus Christ, became our sin so that we could have the righteousness of God. That he wants you to empty your life so that he could pour his life into you. It's, It's that it is a full surrender. Well, I think there should be more ways to Jesus than just, or more ways to God than just Jesus. Well, hey, it's, you, you don't have any, um, you have no bargaining chips in this one. Paul says things like you've been bought with a price, that your life is, is not your own. When I was in my apartment, I mean, I didn't tell you the, the whole story, but in me was like, well, God, you know, like, what about, the, you know, can I still do this and, and, and like follow you? Can I, can I still do, and I, I just, he's like, stop talking and sign the papers. I, I don't get, he didn't ask me if this is something I wanted to do. When you, when you enter a relationship with Jesus, what you don't enter into is this placid, safe, kind of organized life where you, he just, you just kind of include him in a, in a way and you kind of keep him at arm's length to make sure that everything else about your life is just right. He's, he's, he's not safe. I, I love this from the line which in the wardrobe, uh, Lucy is talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. Remember this? And... She's, uh, Lucy's like, oh, a lion. Is he safe? 
Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king after all. Jesus is not safe. Don't think that you're entering something safe with still waters. He says, I've not come to bring peace. I've come with a sword, but he is good. He's the best. He's better. He, he, he's, he, he works out all things. for. He is amazing. He's not safe, but he's good. He wants to invite you into his life. But here's the thing. You've you got to know. You've you got to understand. It's a surrender. You, and if those of us who are Christians and you're kind of like, well, what about that? You have to go back and r- look at the surrender papers that you signed. You see, Jesus goes on and says something to this effect. He says, who, who builds a building without first counting the cost? If you don't count the cost in the beginning, you'll start building the building and then you'll stop. There are hundreds and hundreds uh, of Christians all throughout this land who, ha- who have built these homes, these lives of these Christian lives that you, I, I kind of see them with like the foreclosure sign on the house. They, they started well, but they just didn't count. They thought that they were adding Jesus to your life. And, and Jesus said, no, this is, this is a, no, which is a great deal. It's not safe, but he is good. Okay, so, so he says that we must hate our uh, mother, our, our father, our brothers, our sisters, our wife. And, and what he's saying there, he, he's talking about a comparison. Um, if you look into like the Hebrew word, the Greek word, the Hebrew words really is that uh, you, you can hate actively, which we all are familiar with, or you can hate comparatively. So it says in Genesis and talking about Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob had two wives. He married two sisters, which we'll talk about that later. But they, uh, Rachel and Leah, and, and it actually says in one translation that he hated Leah. Now, he didn't actually hate Leah, but what he did is he loved Rachel better. He loved Rachel more. And Jesus is saying, I, I want to be Rachel. You know, the stars, they seemingly come out at night. and We can see the stars. And it seems like when the sun rises, the stars go away, but they don't go away. You just can't see them in relationship to the sun. When the sun comes up, the stars go in the background. And that's what Jesus says he wants in your life. He says, when I show up, yes, your, your, your family will be there. Your brothers and sisters will be there. Your houses will be there. Your job will be there. But when I come up, you won't even be able to see them. They're so hidden in the background because I am shining so bright in your life. And he wants that from us. So the, the time, the, you know, the time that it cost you and, and the inconvenience or the, um, you know, the relationships, it's like, yes, you know, like, well, that we will shed a tear. You, me and my family this week, you know, we, we're sh- we've shed tears over this issue. But, but we know that he's taking us from one degree of glory to the next. We know that it, we could, it, it could only get better as we say yes to him. So that's one thing. The second one is just like, are we, do we have enough corporate resources? You know, do we have enough... Uh, leadership and, and um, you know, because some of the, the leaders that, will, that are here in the, in the city in particular, are kind of, they're young. Um, first of all, they're amazing leaders, uh, huge leadership gifts. Um, but, but, but secondly, I just want to explain a little bit about how we do multi-site here at, at Jubilee, and that is that we have the the... There, there are local elders in every, all the three lo- campuses, locations, whatever you want to call them. 
And, but there is a, a central eldership that's made up of, of me and Mike right here and, and John Lamferman. And we help lead the entire church. So I hope this is a good thing, but all the wisdom that we have, it gets applied to all of what we're doing collectively. And, and you don't see who's at the lake and you don't see who's at Washington, but we do. We, we, we help and we lead all of who we are. And in terms of, of, of preaching, I think we've got some great young communicators and we're working at that all the time. But uh, what my plan is when we start this location is that I will speak live here about 60% of the time here and Kirkwood. Um, I'll just drive back and forth and, um, in a really fast car. And so we... Um, <laughs> and uh, that reminds me, I need to change my oil. And so we... Um, the, um, and then the remainder, 40%, will be uh, by other communicators. But here's the thing. I mean, we could get into details about, like, you know, will we have enough volunteers? Will we have enough leaders? Will we have enough money? And da-da-da-da. Hey, here's the deal. When, when you read through the scriptures, um, you, what the, the invitation for us, once again, is, is an invitation into faith, an invitation a bit into the unknown. And, and the, I think the best example of this is the feeding of 5,000. Uh, which is, when they say 5,000, it's really 5,000 men. If you add women and children, it's more like 15,000, 20,000. And so they, they were hungry. These, all these uh, people were hungry. They had been with Jesus for three days. And uh, the disciples were like, man, we need, to get, we need to let these people go so they can go buy them something to, uh, to eat. And Jesus looks at the disciples. He says, you feed them. They're like, what are you talking about? You think we got like a year's wage? I mean, that's what it would take. It would take about a year's wage for us to feed all these people. And Jesus is like, well, what do you got? We've got this boy over here has five loaves and a couple fish. Perfect. And he effectively says, all that you have is enough. And he blessed it and he fed a multitude. Here's the principle. Do we have enough? Yes and no. No, we don't have enough. But if we give him all that we have, that'll be enough. Why? Because he will bless it and feed a multitude. You see, what often happens is we're like this little boy, which, mind you, wasn't just his lunch. It was probably a a week's worth of food. And Jesus Jesus comes to him and says, hey, I'll take your lunch. I'll take your week's worth of food. And I'm sure this little, if if we were this little boy, we'd say, well, why do you need my food? It's It's just a little bit. It's just a few loaves and a few fish. Certainly there's somebody else that has more food than I do. Besides, there's no way that this, these loaves and these fish will feed 5,000 people. But you know who it will feed? Me. So I think I'll keep it. And if he had done that, no miracle that day. Here's the thing that's before every single one of us. And you have to figure out what kind of life that you want to live. Do you want to live a life of faith? Or do you want to live a life that looks at what they have in and of themselves before they make any decisions. And and here's the thing, if we are willing to let go of whatever we have, whatever time, whatever money, whatever resource, whatever ability that we have, I'm telling you, God will do the miracle if he's calling us into it. Here's the thing that we know about God. God always pays for what he orders. He doesn't go through the drive-thru, order something, and then gets there and can't pay for it. If he says this is something that he wants us to do, he's gonna pay for it. And it's up to us to say, God, I want you to, you can take what little I have to bless it to feed a multitude. Here's how, here, here's what we need to know about anything God has called us to, regardless. I and mean, we've been planning for this. We've got, 
you know, we've been raising money for this, and we've been raising up leaders, and I could tell you about that, but I want to tell you about this more, because this will help you more. All that we have is enough if we let it go. If we let go of our people, if we let go of our time, if we let go of our money, I'm telling you, he will spiritually feed a multitude through us. So one concern is just a lack of corporate resources. The last one, and we'll close at this, we'll round third and head home, disunity, which no one said, hey, I've got a problem with disunity. Like, I'm worried about that. Um, Philippians 2, if you go there. This one I would like you to turn to, please. Um, but what, one thing is, is, is maybe a, um, you know, what a, you know, what is, you're in the city, what do people, like, what, what does a county have to do with me? Um, you know, what is, you know, what are you county people, or you Washington people, or I won't say lake people, that sounds weird, but the, you know, the people in the lake, and, um, I'm just preaching to you today. How about that? Jubilee Lake Lake people. And so, like, what does a county have to do with me? What does a city have to do with me? There could be kind of this us and them kind of mentality that kind of pops up. Or even more, it's just like, you know, what is any, you know, you're just apathetic about the whole thing. Now, if you're new here, you've been coming here for a couple weeks or this is just your first week, you get a total pass on being apathetic. Um, You don't have to care. But I, I believe that once you, if I understand the scriptures right, that if you, when you come into a community of faith, like the one is all and the all is one. It is an all for one deal. It's, you're, it's a, it talks about a, a, a corporate body that what affects one affects all of us. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. If one mourns, we all mourn. So Paul here is in prison. He writes to the Philippians. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, I'm in Philippians 2.1. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any, of, any affection and sympathy. So he's saying, look, if you've got a pulse, if you've got half a heart, help me with something here. Complete my joy. Now, here's Paul in prison. He could have asked for anything. He could have asked for bail money, maybe. He could have asked for, you know, some medical attention, something. This is what I want. Complete my joy by being of the same mind having the same love. Now, what's important about that, he doesn't say what so many of us in America think is, go f- here's what you need to do. You need to go find people who have the same mind as you and the same love as you and then be a community. He speaks to a community that is about as diverse as it gets. If you read Acts 16, how this church in Philippi got started, it got started by kind of this upper class uh, businesswoman named Lydia. And then, it got, and then the other person was kind of like this new agey, Delmar Lube, teenager person. And then the, the third one was this blue-collar Roman jailer, you know, throwing washers, high life, mac and cheese, you know, that kind of, you know, cut off blue jeans. I mean, just that kind of blue-collar guy. And that was the church. That was the three founding members of this church. And he says, I want you to have the same mind. She's in the county, and she's over there in the loop doing whatever, and he's here throwing washers. Like, how are they all have the same mind, have the same love? Powerful. 
by being in full accord in one mind. And then it says, verse 3, do nothing from rivalry. That word rivalry can also mean selfish ambition or conceit, which basically means you need to get rid of this grid that you use to view all of life through your needs. Selfish ambition means that I do things that, that the, the grid that in which you see truth even is through, because it's my need, it's true. Or if it's because it's my group's need, it's true. So you begin to see everything through your grid. And that's how rivalries start, is because you see truth through your perspective. You see reality through your perspective. Everything that you do has your best interest in mind. And that's why he says, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. So I don't know if you're like me, like the two-list guy, like here's a reason why yes and here's a reason why no. Anybody with me on that? That's that's just me? Am I alone? Come on now. Don't lie to me. So, okay, you know what I'm talking about at least. You do this in your head anyway. So so here, here are the reasons to do something. Here are the yes reasons and here are the no reasons. This is, this is what Paul's saying. You can list all the reasons why it benefits you, and then I want you to list all the reasons why it benefits others, and here's the list that I want you to put more weight on. It's the other list. It's an accounting word. That word, count others more significant. It doesn't say count others more significant than yourselves because they are more significant. It just says, here's how you live. When you see your need and you see someone else's need, here's what I want you to do. I want you to count their need as more significant. Then he just repeats himself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Now, why would I do that? What in the world? Who? That doesn't make any sense. Why would I do that? Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Ah, that's why. Because Jesus had that mind. He didn't count. He, he counted. He he counted your eternal salvation as more significant than his own life. Who, though was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. That's a steep fall. Heaven to nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was an excruciating pain. In fact, that word excruciating actually comes, it's a pain that means from the cross. That's what that word means, excruciating. We have a new word for pain because of the cross. It's called excruciating means from the cross. It's a pain from the cross. He didn't just experience death. He experienced death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Why does he get the best name? Because he's humbled himself more than anyone. Jesus tells us right here the way to make the most of your life and the way that we can make the most of our life isn't how far we ascend It's not how far we ascend in our career, how far we ascend in our relationships, how far we ascend in our hobbies, in our bank accounts. Our greatness will not be defined in how we ascend. It will be how far we descend. Our greatness is found in that. We want to humble ourselves. We want to humble our opinion. We want to humble what's best for me because this is what Jesus did. 
And at, at our core, brothers and sisters, we use the name Christian because that's what that, that word means, to be like Christ. We want to be like him. We want to love like him. We want to live like him. And one day we want to be with him forever. And what is the life that he lived? He laid down his life. He gave up his lunch. He gave up his life for us. He didn't count his, he was willing to exchange his own life for yours and for mine. And because he did it, we can run after this with We can risk it all. We can hear God's voice and run after it, not knowing where we're going, but we know we're headed for a good place. We can full surrender to him. We can give up everything because we know that he gave up everything for us. And if he did it, it must be the way to go. And we can lower our opinion. We can lower our needs and what's best for us. We can count others as more significant than our own lives because that's what Jesus did. And we are lovers of Jesus. We are Christ followers. We are Christian. And we want to be like this. And we want to grow like this together, not as just individuals, as a community, as one, as, as being humble individuals, but humble as a church. For us? No, not for us. For a city and a world that desperately, for people like Manny, for people like you. So let's consider Jesus. Let's humble ourselves. Let's be willing to take faith, take risk of faith. And let's remember that, man, let's, let's sign our papers. Let's let it go. Let's, let's go after him. He's not safe. It's not serene. Don't expect that. But he is good. Why don't you go?